0: going to be continuing our course on the afterlife. What happens when we die? We've talked about so many different things. This is the third lesson. I'm going to give a very basic overview of many of the topics we've already discussed. If you'd like to hear the other lessons, they are on YouTube. They're also on our podcast, If you'd like to listen to those, again, and get a little bit of an extended version of what I'm going to offer you today as a recap, but we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about ghosts. We talk about, um, you know, lingering souls lingering. We talk about, uh, again, specifically what happens when we die and all of that, And, and again, uh, we're going to talk about some of that again, but, but again, if you'd like to hear the rest of that, please go check it out and uh, get caught up there. One thing I like to do uh, every time I start this lesson, these lessons, is to remind everybody that I am not God, hallelujah, I don't make the rules, I just study the Bible, which I believe is the rule book, amen. Amen. So we study the Bible, and we try to determine the will and plan of God, and that's the extent of the answers we have. The fact is, when it comes to death and the afterlife, there's no greater authority than the Bible. Amen. And when it comes to all topics, there's no greater, but specifically when it comes to the afterlife. There is no doctor that's got an answer for the afterlife. There's no, uh, again, there's people who may claim they have all these answers. At the end of the day, the Bible is the authority on the subject. So tonight, uh, I'm not going to be offering up my opinion as as much as possible. I'm going to open up the Bible and give you what the Bible says. Again, I don't have all the answers. And if there's something that I feel like is kind of iffy, something that I'm not 100% sure of, I will tell you that. I've done that several times because when it comes to the afterlife, we are completely and utterly dependent on scriptures, right? So anything we know, I've not been there. I don't know if you've been there, hallelujah, more than likely not since you're sitting here today. So we are completely dependent on scriptures and trying to put together the pieces based on what the Bible says, Again, there's many scriptures that talk about it, Uh, so we are going to do the best that we can using the Word of God. So a little bit of a recap. First of all, there's three things that the Bible assures us about the afterlife. I'm sorry, this is the topic of tonight. We first talked about what happens when we die. The second lesson we talked about what happened when they died. Um, So, specifically talking about ancestors and those who died and have gone on, are they still lingering, stuff like that. Tonight and and next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about where do we go when we die. So, uh, we're going to specifically talk about what happens to us when we die and what that looks like. What does eternity look like from that point on? And that's really what our discussion is on tonight. So, uh, three assurances the Bible gives concerning what happens when we die. Number one, there is absolutely an afterlife. When you pass on, it is not just you're going to go in a grave and that's it. Nobody's ever going to hear from you again. Nobody, You're not going to have any other uh, uh, activity in your life. That's just the beginning, really. Um, what this life is, this life is just a very small glimpse of, of eternity and what we will face in the afterlife. Number two, all human beings will live forever somewhere. And again, not your body, but your soul will. And we'll, we, we'll break that down in, in a moment. But all human beings will live forever somewhere. Number three, the eternal destinies of people of faith and those who reject God are quite Different. That statement is very important for tonight, as we'll discuss. Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. I may need uh, some batteries for this uh, remote here. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, <clears throat> And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. When he did that, he created our bodies. Our bodies were formed from the dust of the ground. And as the scripture says, you know, from dust we were created to dust we will return. So it says the dust of the ground created our bodies. Then he breathed the breath of life, uh, breathed into his nostrils, into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life. That is the spirit. And man became a living soul. It was the mixture of the body and the spirit or the breath of God that created the living soul. That was the point you got life, not when the body was created. So if the body, the life didn't start with the body, then life doesn't end with the body, right? This body will pass away, but the living soul inside of us will live forever. Genesis chapter 2 and 7 shows us these three compartments to human beings. The body, which was formed of God out of the dust of the earth, the spirit, which came into Adam as the breath of life when God breathed into him, and then the soul. The soul is the real person. Your soul contains all that you are, your essence, your personality. It was created by the union of the spirit. Uh, that comes from God and the body that comes from the dust. And that's just so interesting to me that it required the union of these two things in order to create this living soul or this being that, uh, again, was brand new, a being that was uh, created by God, but it was a mixture of earth and heaven, a mixture of dust and breath. Hallelujah. That's why we we are unlike anything else because God didn't breathe the breath of life into animals. He created them certainly from compounds of the the earth and, and, and dust and all of that of the earth, but He didn't breathe into them as He did to us. That's why we became the living soul, that's why we have free will. That's why we have these things which animals do not. It's because of that breath being mixed in with the body. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, first, we have three, a spirit, a soul, and a body. And he said, all three of these things must be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means I can't just live for him in my mind. I got to live for him in my body, right? I can't just say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, but does he know your actions? Praise God. And uh, does he know what you're doing with your body? That's why the Bible says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for your soul, but he also died to purchase your body. Hallelujah. So all of my being must be given to the Lord. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that's something I'm passionate about. I want to give all of me to the Lord. Amen. Praise God. I want to give it all to the Lord. So what happens to these three compartments? Again, this is just a recap. But what happens to these three compartments when our earthly lives come to an end? First, what happens to the body? The Bible's very specific. It returns to the earth. It returns to the earth. Now, certainly, um, as, as we'll talk more about uh, next week, uh, God willing, <clears throat> when we are raptured out of here, then, th- again, the body is also raptured. We're giving glorified bodies. Uh, so that's a very interesting topic. We'll, we'll uncover that more next week. But, but the Bible is very clear. The, bo- the body returns to the earth. It also tells us that the Spirit returns to God. Now, we don't have time to go through all those Scriptures. If you want to go through them on your own time, you can. We went through them. The last two lessons, we talked about a lot about them. The final one, what happens to the soul? Well, the Bible is very clear. The soul then goes to Hades or to paradise or heaven and hell or the place of unrest, the place of rest, all of these mean the same things, to await the resurrection and judgment. Um, so that's exactly what happens then. Uh, when our, our body, it goes into the earth, our spirit goes back to God, and our soul, which contains the essence of who we are, will either go to Hades or paradise. Now, I know I just said that quite simply. I answered the question for the evening, where do we go when we die? Well, we go either to Hades or paradise, but I want to break it down a whole lot more. We want to talk specifically about what Hades and paradise is. Tonight, I'm going to talk specifically about uh, both of them for a moment, but focus more on Hades. Next week, we will focus more on paradise. So the unrighteous shall go away into everlasting punishment, while the righteous into life eternal. This is straight from those passages of Scripture, specifically Matthew 25, 46. It says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Those are the eternal destinies of every person on the earth. And every person who's passed away, our eternal destiny is either spend uh, our life in everlasting punishment or our life in life eternal or eternal life or everlasting life. Hallelujah. Uh, I I know this is a pretty simple statement, but I know where I'd like to go, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. And hopefully as we go through this, we will all conclude in our heart just a little bit more, you know what, I want to make sure that I am going to life eternal, everlasting life, rather than having to endure an everlasting punishment. Now the scriptures suggest that our souls are immediately placed in the place of rest or unrest After we die, this is important. I talked all about that last week. I'm not going to talk too much about that today, uh, or not last week, but last lesson. We talked about how our bodies don't linger. And I know that this is a, a heavy topic. There's a lot of people, even religious people, who have a lot of different ideas on this. I don't see any scriptural proof that souls linger at any capacity, that, again, loved ones hang around. Uh, There are several scriptures that suggest this is not true, that the Bible says specifically the dead have no plans on earth. Everything that they were doing, anything that, that they had going on in their life, when they passed away, it was over with. So they don't linger around because they have unfinished business. The Bible specifically says they do not have unfinished business. And these scriptures suggest that these, they were immediately moved. These souls were immediately placed either into rest or unrest. And again, we've talked about these several times, but I'd like to talk about them again. Luke 23, 43, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This is, of course, Jesus talking to the thief on the cross. Jesus was just very straightforward. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. If there was anybody who had lingering business to have to fulfill, it was probably a thief dying on a cross, right? But today, Jesus says, you shall be with me in paradise. And then, of course, uh, in Luke chapter 18, 16, Luke chapter 16, Verse 22, it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now that phrase, was buried, there's a lot of thoughts on that that it more than likely doesn't mean that he was buried in the sense that he was put in the ground. Many of the words that were used to describe hell and burial are the same words. Uh, in the Old Testament, they specifically believed, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, that when you that you buried somebody, again, it was the idea you're putting them into a place called Sheol, which was considered to be hell or a place of utter darkness for the lost. So when it says he this man died and was buried, the implication is that he was put into. Hell or Sheol. Luke 16 23, the very next verse of scripture, he says, It says, and hell, in hell, he lifted up his eyes. So he died, was buried, and he's in hell. So he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So this wasn't a lingering, he wasn't sitting around for a long time, he was immediately in hell. Uh, after that, he died and again was buried. This implication, he buried and was put into uh, hell or this eternal darkness. Like, like I said, we'll we'll talk more about that. But this is so important. We know in this story, and, and we're actually not going to talk a lot about this story today. We've talked so much about it. But uh, in that story, we know that he uh, asked Abraham, to allow Lazarus to go talk to his brothers who were on the earth and try to convince them to live right and to live according to the Word of God. So obviously when he's in hell at this moment, his brothers are still on earth. Now that's scary to me for for a couple reasons. Uh, First, because that means that time... At least in this story, it seems to to reason that time is the same in hell, Sheol, as it is here on the earth. That means that, again, it's not going to be like this vortex and we're just going to automatically be at the end of days. Uh, That means that right now, people are in hell, burning. Right now, people are in, in the place of rest, relaxing, if you will. And they're part of that same timeline. Again, at least in regards to uh, hell, Hades, and the place of unrest, that seems to be the case. And and that's scary to think about. That again, this isn't going to be like a okay, I die and I'm going to be tormented and then it's going to be over. No, he, he every moment, every second that we're sitting here, there are people in hell having to d- endure this right now. And and I, I, again, I'm trying to set that moment. I know that this kind of makes us uncomfortable talk about this but t- get ready. We're going it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Talking about hell isn't supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be uncomfortable, open our eyes and make us first of all thankful for Jesus Christ and also fearful that we would escape that eternal punishment. Hades and paradise, these are not Uh, merely a state of mind that we're in. These are actual places, according to the Bible. Although the Bible clearly states that the soul will go to Hades or paradise and not the physical body, the Bible still makes it clear that we will obviously still have most, if not all, of our senses. Again, we will feel the burn of the fire in hell. We will see the torment take place. The rich man in Luke 16, the one that we just read about, he exhibited imagination in verse 27. He had a conscience in verse 24. He had memories in verse 25. He had a reason to thank. He could thank in verse 30. He had affection in verse 28. All of your emotions are not going to be just done and gone. You're going to have all of those emotions, all of those memories. According to this, you'll have all of that as you enter into either paradise or Hades. Again, which to me scares me to death to think about the fact that I could remember Every person that was part of my family, that i if I'm not living for God, I had to worry about and think about all of my kids that maybe I had a part in turning them away from God. Had to think about all of the people I could have warned and tried to keep from entering into that place. All of these things will still be there. It'll still infect us. And, and I'm sure the torment won't just be the flames of the fire, but the mental and emotional torment that we will go through. Again, I'm hitting this strong, but I think it's so important that we get this image of what hell really is in Scripture. Now, we want to talk about, I talked about both, but let's talk specifically about the eternal destiny of the unrighteous. Let's talk about this place a little bit more, called hell. Hell, of course, uh, is the most commonly used word for this place of unrest that we will go after we die, or the unrighteous will go after they die. That word hell in its uh, core means to hide or cover. The idea is that we would be hidden into a place of utter darkness, uncovered, or I'm sorry, covered, unallowed to see or to to be with people that we love and care about, we would be hidden away into this darkness for the rest of eternity. Another word, Sheol, this is actually a really important word that is used quite often in the Old Testament. It literally means a deep pit in the earth. That's what the word means. Usually when Sheol is translated as hell in the King James Version of the Old Testament, it does not refer to this place of eternal punishment, uh, which we'll talk about that in a moment. There is a difference between the place of eternal punishment and the place of hell. The place of eternal punishment is uh, what we call the lake of fire, Uh, And again, there is a difference. We'll talk about that. But what we're talking about right now is hell. When it used the word Sheol, it's specifically talking about this place we call hell. Uh, In the Old Testament, it refers to the eternal punishment, not to the eternal punishment, but to a place where good and evil people continue to exist after death. This is what the Old Testament believers believed that the dead continued their existence in a shadowy underworld of Sheol. Uh, later, Sheol was conceived of as being divided into two compartments, where one where the good dwelt and then the other where the evil dwelt. This seems to coincide with the understanding of Abraham's bosom. I know we've talked a lot about Abraham's bosom, uh, but this seems to coincide with that, this word Sheol, where they believed that all people went to this location, but they were separated. The good and the bad were separated. Uh, obviously, the good would go into a place called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of rest for those who would await Jesus Christ coming back on the earth. This next word, Hades, It's one of the Greek words usually translated as hell. And it is basically equivalent to Sheol. It means the unseen world. The next one, Gehanna, the most prominent Greek word translated as hell. Gehanna is a transliteration of the Hebrew word G and Hinnom. It is named after the valley of Hinnom which is located southeast of Jerusalem. The word Hinnom comes from a Hebrew word meaning lamentation. Now there's a reason for that. It's because the valley of Hinnom was a horrible, horrible place. Jeremiah, I must have missed this one, but Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 31 It states this, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not to do, neither came it into my heart. So during the days of Ahaz and Manasseh, some Jews erected a temple to the Canaanite fire god, Molech, and it was in the valley of Hinnom. It became well-known temple because it was a place where people would place their sons and their daughters at the feet of this idol so that they would burn to death, if you will. Again, I know this is gruesome today, but you understand why this became uh, the symbol of the hell we're talking about. This became the symbol of this eternal place of punishment that the unrighteous will go to. Jesus, when he used the word hell in the New, the King James Version, it's translated as hell. Uh, usually the word he was using there is Gehanna because that was, again, a very prominent place and it was something that everybody knew what he was talking about. When he said hell or Gehenna, they said, oh, no, I remember that place. That place is infamous, being a horrible, disgusting place where people died by fire. So they they got that imagery in their mind. And the reason I'm saying all that is so that we, too, can get that imagery in our mind. Gehenna, it appears to be equivalent in terminology to the lake of fire which again is different from hell, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, when the Bible says hell, there's a lot of times it's translated. These different words are translated just as hell. Again, there is a different. Tartarus, the other word translated hell in the New Testament. In the literature of the in, intertestament period, the word was also used as a place preserved for the fallen angels, which again we'll talk about is the lake of fire. So, saying all that, clarifying all that, let's talk specifically about the scriptures which describe this place called hell. So, hell, the destination of the unrighteous, is a condition of extreme misery and discomfort, as this indicated by various figurative terms. Here are all the figurative terms. Luke sixteen twenty eight describes it as a place of torment. Matthew twenty five, an everlasting fire. Mark nine, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Revelations twenty one, the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Revelations nine, the bottomless hit. Matthew 13, a furnace of fire, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude 1, blackness of darkness forever. Then finally, Revelations 14, it says, the smoke of their tormented ascendeth their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night now i did want to clarify just a little bit that word or that that phrase in matthew 25 where it described hell as an outer darkness it could be in our terminology an utter darkness it described much like the valley of the shadow of death in psalms 23 a place of complete darkness where you cannot see anything. Put your hand in front of your face and you still can't see your hand. That's the the words that he's trying to use here. Saying that it would be so dark, a place of just complete darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face. Yet all the while you feel the burn of the flames of fire around you. And as the flames of fire burn you, the Bible says that there are worms that do not die in hell that constantly eat at the flesh and the wombs that you carry from that eternal fire. Again, don't be upset with me for using all these terms. These are right there in your Bible. Jesus preach more about hell using these exact terms than anyone else in scripture. And I believe again, the reason being that Jesus wanted to make sure we knew what this place was like so that we could avoid it by all means necessary. We could avoid this place called hell or Hades or place of unrest Now, I did want to clarify something. The Roman Catholic Church, they teach that there is another intermediate place for the righteous dead called purgatory. According to them, it is a temporary fire where slight and minor sin, which could not have been forgiven on earth through penance, are purged. Basically, the belief is that souls in purgatory could be helped by the prayers of the church on earth. This idea that if somebody on earth were to pray for them, and many through the years have even used it as a means to get funds, if somebody would just pay a little bit of a price, they could pay for their loved ones to escape purgatory and enter into heaven. This doctrine is not based out of Scripture. This doctrine is completely and utterly based off their own traditions. The Scriptures teach nothing of purgatory afterlife. The Scriptures teach nothing of being able to redeem or purchase somebody or help somebody after they have passed on. The Bible is very clear. Hallelujah. And, and we'll talk about it today and, and next week. That unless we live according to the word of God while we are living. Hallelujah. Unless we escape through the name of Jesus today, then we cannot escape that place called hell or eternal punishment. And again, what's going to get real serious in a minute as we talk about that, but Jesus showed how serious this was. How serious it was to avoid hell. If you think I'm being intense, listen to the words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 9 verse 43 through 48. It says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell's fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, as Jesus is saying this, he is not suggesting, and let me be very clear, I'm not suggesting that you literally cut off your hand or your leg or pluck out your eye I don't believe that the Lord was by any means trying to suggest that we cause bodily harm or mutilate our bodies in order to go to hell or to go to heaven and not to go to hell. But this is an example. He's using the outrageous example to show how small a deal some of the things are that's going to keep us out of heaven and, and put us into hell. He's trying to show that, listen... It's so dramatic that I'd rather you cut off your hand than to go to hell. I mean, that, that just puts it into comparison. What about if it's just a TV show? What if it's just videos on the internet? What if it's just lying? What if it's just relationships that aren't going anywhere? Are these things worth your eternal destiny. That's what he's trying to say. Trying to say, if you love your hand, if your hand's a big deal, that's how big of a deal this is to go to hell. He says, so don't let anything else, don't let anything in your life get in the way of you making it into heaven and avoiding hell. Nothing else is more important than your eternal destiny and your eternal destination. Praise God. And this will not end here. It doesn't get any better at this point. At the end of time, the lost will stand before what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. It says that all will come before the great white throne of judgment that are on the earth and that are in Hades, and they will be condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire, which the Bible calls the second death. This is found in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. Now, some have said, and and again, this is a place where I don't know fully. I don't know if maybe if you lived a decent life, but you didn't call on the name of the Lord, that you're going to go to hell now. But in that day, because you lived a good life, that God may spare you. But I don't think that that's going to be the case. Because the next passage of Scripture, the sea gave up the dead, which were in it, talking about all those in hell, and the death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, but look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life we know is not, uh, that is called the Lamb's book of life. It's called that specifically because all those who call on Jesus and who obey the gospel and call on his name, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is saying that all those whose name were not written in the book of life, they were cast Into the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire is described in all of the same terms as hell. They're very similar, um, but the Bible's very clear. Revelations 21 and 8 the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So after Jesus comes back in all the millennium and all that, the end of days, God will bring back all who are in hell to face the great white throne of judgment. And on that day, all those who fit in this list, they will then be cast into the lake of fire Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the lake of fire, again, all the same terms that talks about hell talks about the lake of fire. The lake of fire was not designed for you. Hell may have been, but the lake of fire was not. The lake of fire was prepared to be an eternal place of torment for the devil and his angels. They are just bringing the lost along with them. You do not belong in the lake of fire. And if you want to know why the devil fights you so much and tries to keep you from living for God and tries to keep you from coming to church, this is the reason right here. It's because they know where they're going and they want to drag everyone there with them that they possibly can. That's why we got to shun the works of darkness. We got to call on the name of Jesus and put the devil in his place and let him know we're not going to join him. In the lake of fire. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. Matthew 25 and 41. Jesus says it plainly. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Several other passages of scriptures, Revelations 19 and 20, Revelations 20 and 10, these all say the same thing. The devil... His demons, the uh, uh, false prophet in the Old Test or the, the, in the New Testament, the false prophet who is to come, the Antichrist, all of these shall be sent into the lake of fire. But even though it was made for them, the lake of fire is still going to be a place of eternal punishment for the lost. That is the final resting place of the lost and the unrighteous. That is the place that you will spend the rest of eternity. Revelations 14 and 11, In the smoke of their torment, O oh God, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest. They are not who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now ultimately that's talking specifically about those situations, but the beginning there it talks of all who shall go to that place of eternal punishment. That place where the fire does not quench. place where there will never be rest but the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Oh, God, help us to escape that. And God, help us to help our families and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors escape this horrible place. Just a couple more things I had to say. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8. I wanted to be clear on some of this. It says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance, God taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say gospel. So it says that this place of eternal punishment it shall be for all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Well, just because I know God doesn't mean that I'm going to escape hell. I have to also obey the gospel. The next passage of Scripture, it says this, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of Of his power. That is ultimately the greatest torment. That we should be away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. But I wanted to clarify that verse number eight says, All that do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. What is the gospel? First Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Paul said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So he's telling us the gospel. He spends a couple verses just clarifying what it is that he had preached to them, that gospel. He said, for I delivered unto you first. This is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried And that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. According to Paul, that's the gospel. It's the death. Everybody say death. Burial. Everybody say burial. Resurrection. Everybody say resurrection. Hallelujah. Why? How can we obey this? Is it just I have to believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected? Uh, Actually, no. No. In order to obey the gospel, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we are buried with Christ by baptism into death. Hallelujah. So the Bible speaks often of these three stages, these three areas of the gospel, death, burial, and resurrections. Hallelujah. The Bible in Romans, he says that I die in Christ. Repentance is an example of, Of death. I have to die to my sins. And then I am buried with Christ by baptism. Baptism is an example of burial. He says, Then we shall, uh, by the resurrection of the one that raised up Christ from the dead, so shall ye walk in newness of life. That's why Peter said in Acts chapter 2, and verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Mark, it says, that that uh, those who are rep- that believe uh, and are baptized shall be saved, and they that believeth not shall be damned. I believe that baptism is just as much a, a part of belief as belief is, and and uh, having a recognition of who Jesus is. He says we must be baptized. Hebrews Peter. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said that just as Noah and them were saved by water, the contrary example of that, we are saved by baptism. The scripture says that unless we have the spirit of Christ, then we are none of his. So today I want to conclude this. Hallelujah. If you want to escape hell, this is what I suggest to you. I'm not trying to claim anything from your, your loved ones. I know this is a hard topic because we've got people in our lives or maybe who was in our lives who have not done this. I can't speak for them. They're in the hands of Jesus. But I will tell you this, we must obey the gospel, which was repentance. We've got to ask God to forgive us of our sins. And we must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, put on Christ. And we have this promise that if we should Do that we shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which Jesus said in John chapter 3, that all you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. Water being baptism and Spirit being filled with the Holy Ghost in order to see the kingdom of God. In order to see heaven we must repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you the reason I preach this today. The reason I concluded on this is because I'm begging you. Don't allow this to pass you by. If the he- if hell is hot and dark and all these things that I've said, all it takes is a moment, moment of repenting of our sins and turning away from those things. All it takes is 15 minutes to get into a baptism baptismal tank. In fact, the water's still in there. Hallelujah. All it takes is 15 minutes to get into a baptismal tank and to be baptized. All it takes is lifting up your hands and allowing God to fill you with His Spirit in order to make sure that you escape hell's flame and that utter darkness. Can we stand here today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to make a call out to you to come down to this altar and find a place of repentance before the the feet of Jesus. I don't know. You've probably repented before. Maybe you've done all this before, but let's do it again. Jesus, the Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It is Jesus Christ. I can call on Jesus again, and he will advocate on my behalf, and I will find forgiveness for my sins. Hallelujah through the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus, God, we call on your name. We call on your name today, Lord Jesus, in repentance. We call on your name, Lord God, today. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord, hallelujah. Come on, maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've got the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've repented of your sins, but you've got family members who have not, and you've got co workers and neighbors who haven't. Could you call their names out unto the Lord today? Sick face all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself.